All right. Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Right? You, you guys know how this works on Easter Sunday, right? I say, He is risen, and you guys respond with, He is risen indeed. All right? So, He is risen. Amen. Amen. Listen, I'm going to ask you for a favor, um, and we ask this favor every week, but specifically on Easter Sunday, we, I, I, I need a favor. So I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. Now, one, if you like to write things the old-fashioned way, like if you're old-fashioned at heart and you like to write things and not just do things electronically, but you like to write things, then uh, in the pew rack in front of you, there is just a little welcome card. And what we're going to ask you to do is if you'll just grab that Fill out your basic information, name, uh, address, uh, email address, and phone number. Just give me those things. Uh, that would be awesome. And then when the offering plate comes around at the end of the service, drop that in. Now, if you don't like that and you're electronic and you have not um, uh, deleted Facebook yet and you still have Facebook, would you just go online uh, and you can just grab your phone and just, just check in for us. Just check in. And here's what we're going to do. At the end of the 11 o'clock service, for every check-in and every um, visitor card that we get, we're going we're gonna to go through those and we're going to choose five people, and maybe you noticed when you came in, and then in, in here, and then in the back of the house, we've got five beautiful flower arrangements, and we're just going to give them to you guys so that they don't die here at the church this week. So we want you to take them home and enjoy them, and so uh, that's what we're going to do at the end of the 11 o'clock. I'm just going to go through five names, and, uh, and if you're not here because you were here at 8.30, we'll just give you a call, and you can come by and pick them up tomorrow, okay? Awesome. So that, that is the one favor I need to take care of with you. Um, now, guys, it is Easter Sunday, which I would argue is the biggest Sunday on the Christian calendar. Now, some people think that it is Christmas, especially our children. Our children think Christmas is the biggest deal. However, without Easter, like Christmas doesn't make sense. And so this is, this is really the biggest day that we celebrate uh, here on the Christian calendar. And it's a very special Easter for us this year, um, specifically because we have been walking through this book together. And it's called the story. And, and basically, I, I've, I've kind of come up with this, this phrase, it is a chronological sprint through the entire Bible. And, and that's what we've been doing. We've been walking through the entire Bible since the beginning of the school year. And, and this morning on, on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday, we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together. And we're going to talk about what we read together this week. Now, if you didn't read, because this is your first Sunday to hear about this, that's what these books are for, okay? The, the story has been so good for us that, that even though we're, we're currently, we've only got four weeks left after this week, it's been so good for us that we just want to bless you with it. So if you're here and you're visiting with us this morning, before you leave, just want to invite you, come and take a copy, take one copy uh, with you, and, and just go home and read it. I promise that the Lord will bless you, okay? Now, last week, um, we studied the cross. That's what you hopefully do the week before um, you, you study the resurrection. So we studied the cross, and we said, really, that we needed to understand that there were three S-words uh, that would help us understand what the cross was really all about. And I'm just going to recap those since you weren't here, because they tie into this week. And so the first word was sin. The first word we talked about last week was sin. That Jesus, this Jesus we said, has come to seek and to find sinners. And, and we use that word on purpose because it's not just about struggles, right? We like to change the vocabulary up of the Bible because we don't like the word sin. Struggle makes us more comfortable. We like to say, oh, I struggle with this. I struggle with gossip. I struggle. Well, the problem with uh, that is that doesn't make sense in light of the cross. The cross wasn't necessary because we struggle. The cross was necessary because we sin and the wage of sin is death, okay? And so it's important to 
know that Jesus came to seek and to find sinners. That's what the cross was for. The second S, we said, was uh, was serve. That Jesus has come to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when you think about Christ on the cross, what you should see is the picture of the ultimate service uh, servant. Okay, Uh, The Bible says that Jesus, being equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, becoming a servant even to the point of death. And so he serves us on the cross by taking the lower position, by taking the position of the sinner, and and he dies in our place. And our call, according to Christ, is to do the same, right? And then the the last S we talked about last week was save, that Jesus has come to save us by becoming our perfect sacrifice. And as we've studied this story, we learned in the very beginning in the book of Genesis that sin demanded sacrifice, Right, the, the author of Hebrews says, "Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins." And so, even in, in the garden, um, when when Adam and Eve sinned, the very first thing God had to do was kill an innocent animal, and 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 and, and that's. That, that happens throughout the Bible, right? So he uses the skins of that animal to clothe their nakedness and shame. And it's a picture. We need something to cover us as well. And so that's where the story has been heading. Now there's one last S word we didn't talk about last week, but you need to know to understand what the resurrection about is all about. And that S word is Satan. Is Satan, okay? You, you, you see, on Friday... Satan, who is the great antagonist of this story, on Friday, Satan thought that he had won. On Friday, Satan thought that when Jesus said, it is finished, he really thought it was finished. He really thought that God was dead, that the answer to our sin problem had been killed. Now, Jesus' followers repped, but his enemy, the devil, celebrated. On Friday, as Jesus cried out, it is finished, and laid his head down and gave up his spirit. Satan thought that it was really finished, but as we'll find out this morning, it wasn't finished at all. That was really just the beginning of the story. All right, join me in a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you so much for being with us. We're, we're so happy to gather here today and to celebrate the resurrection of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we want to recognize this morning that you are the teacher of this church. And we now want to invite you to come and to take your rightful place at our pulpit. We pray that you would lift up and exalt Jesus Christ and that we might see him in all of his glory. King Jesus, as you are lifted up, would you do as your word says you would do and just draw us each closer to yourself that we might be changed by what we encounter today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, this week in the story, we read what happened after Jesus' death, right? A man named Joseph of Arimathea, who was a follower of Jesus, along with Nicodemus, who you may remember we met in John chapter 3. He came to Jesus under the cover of night and said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again, born of the Spirit. Yes, that Nicodemus. And this man named Joseph of Arimathea go before Pilate, and they say, we would like the body of Jesus. And they take the body of Jesus, and they prepare prepare it for burial. They, they have 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes that they apply to the body. They wrap the body in strips of linen and place a cloth over the head of Jesus and they put him in a tomb that was brand new and they roll a stone in front of it. The Bible says at that point that the Pharisees and the religious rulers go to Pilate and say, they, listen, we've got a problem. This Jesus whom you have killed, right? Uh, he said he was going to rise again on the third day. So we're going to ask, would you please seal the 
the tomb and place guards uh, at the tomb. And so Pilate does this, right? And and that's what we learn. So Jesus dies on Friday at 3 o'clock. Before the Sabbath begins that evening, he's placed in the tomb. He's completely buried. He's in the ground on Friday. He remains there all day on Saturday. Now, on Sunday morning, on the third day, when the women go to the tomb looking for Jesus, looking to pay their respects. They're looking for a dead body. Instead, they get this message from an angel. The angel says, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said. Come and see the place where they lay. Now the rest of the story is full of Jesus uh, post-resurrection. The living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appearing to his followers in order to strengthen their faith. And first he appears to Mary right there at the tomb. And Mary doesn't recognize him at first, but eventually she will. Then he appears to two disciples that are walking along the road to Emmaus. And he begins to speak with them. Then he eventually he appears to all eleven who are hiding out, no doubt in fear that they might be killed. And, and Jesus appears to them, even though they're behind locked door. Later he will appear to them again. And Thomas is there this time. Thomas, the doubting Thomas. And he's saying, Lord, I've got to see the hands and the feet of Jesus. I've got to touch his side. And Jesus invites him closer. Here, Thomas, bring your doubt. Bring your doubt. Come and see and touch my hands and touch my side. And and then Jesus is going to appear to them at at, at the Sea of Galilee. And and they're in a boat, which is where he met many of them. And he says, listen, you had a rough night of fishing. Why don't you throw your net down on the other side? And it's a miraculous catch. And Peter immediately jumps into the water and swims, recognizing that it's Jesus. Then again he meets them in Galilee, this time on the mountaintop. And it's an important meeting because it's a meeting that Jesus set up before he died. He scheduled the meeting before his death and he said, I'm going to meet you guys in Galilee up on the mountain. And Jesus there on the mountain, he gives them a commission for the rest of their lives. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me and therefore I say to you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to uh, obey everything that I have commanded you. Right? It's a big commission. And friends, I'm going to tell you today, this Easter we are here because those 11 men got that commission. And they changed the world. Now this week, I want to focus on the reason that we have gathered here today. I I want to focus on the resurrection and, and what it means. And so this morning, I have three observations for you, okay? That's intentional because they all start with V, okay? I I, I don't know. Last week, there were three S's. I just thought, hey, that was kind of cool. I'm going to do three V's this week. So three observations um, that really talk to us about the essence of what the resurrection means. And here's the first one. Uh, Friends, the resurrection is all about validation. Validation, right? The resurrection of Jesus validates every claim made about him and every claim made by him. The resurrection validates every claim made about Jesus and and every claim made by Jesus. After returning sight to the blind, after making lame people walk, after bringing dead people back to life, after healing the masses, the religious rulers come to Jesus and they say, we want more. We want more. I know some folks in church like that, right? I mean, they just want more. And, and the religious, they just wanted more. They said, we, we need something more to show that you really are the Messiah, the, the promised one of God. And Jesus um, replies to them, and, and, and he says, listen, uh, this is all you're going to get. Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 38. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign or demands a sign, but none will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet of Jonah. 
For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And what Jesus is saying here is is huge, okay? Long before the blue-collar comedy tour, Jesus is saying, here is your sign, right? Here's your sign. You, You want a sign, here's the sign. On the third day, I will rise again. Jesus says the same thing about the temple. He tells the religious rulers. I, I, I tell you, if you tear this temple down, I will build it again in three days. And they say, that's ridiculous, right? It took us 46 years to build this temple. But John chapter 2 says this. It says, but the temple that he had spoken of was his body. Later, Jesus will just make it plain to his disciples because, um, thank you, God, they're a lot like us and they're a little thick-headed and don't always get it. And so he tells them plainly in Matthew chapter 16, starting verse 21, he says, from that time on, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, get this, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, why? Why does Jesus go to such a great extent to talk about the resurrection? Why does Jesus go to such a great extent and tell everybody that the resurrection is of great importance? And here's why, ready? Validation. Jesus tells everyone that will listen that the resurrection will be the sign that everything the scripture says about him is indeed true. That's why when Jesus is raised from the dead, the first thing that he does, right, starting on the road to Emmaus, he begins to open people's minds to what scripture says about him. Listen to Luke 24, 27. It says, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Later it'll say, as they were walking along and Jesus is doing this, their hearts became alive and began to burn with a new understanding of who God was. Jesus will then appear to the 11 disciples behind closed doors. And look what he does with them in Luke chapter 24. He says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Can you imagine that conversation? I tried to imagine it this week. What, what was that like, right? I, I imagine it would something like this. By the way, I'm going to fly through these scripture references, and I don't expect you to write them all down. You can go back and listen next week. But I imagine it was something like this, that Jesus is with his disciples, and he says something like, hey guys, don't you remember what Micah said? You know, Micah talk, talked about the fact that, 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 that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. Where was I from? Hello? Right? And he said, and Zechariah, didn't, didn't you read in Zechariah, the, the, the king of Israel, that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? What did we just do? Right? And then he, he goes to Psalm 118, and, and, and he says, didn't you read what the psalmist writes, that, that, that I would be rejected by the leaders, by the elders? Hello? That's, that's happened. And then he says, what about Psalm 41.9, that, that one of my own, one that I have trusted, one that I have shared bread with, would betray me? That's Judas, right? And, and then he goes to Isaiah. 50 and he says what what about this that I would offer my back to those and that they would pull out my beard and that they would mock me and Jesus like you you watched this you you saw my flesh torn open and then maybe he goes to Psalm 22 and he he says something like this I mean didn't you hear what they cried out to me while I was hanging on the cross that that, that he'd be trust in the Lord let the Lord rescue me they said to me if you're the son of God why don't you get yourself down upon the cross they said don't you see that fulfillment And, and later in Psalm 22 he says in 14 through 17, don't you remember reading this in the Old Testament that they would pierce my hands and my feet? And I think maybe he concluded with something like Psalm 16 where he says, 
Didn't you know that my father would not abandon me to the grave? I told you I would rise again. See, the resurrection, friends, validates all of the scriptures. Now, now in Jesus' day, the scriptures were just the Old Testament. So we say, well, what about the New Testament? Well, well, well the resurrection also validates all the claims of Jesus. You see, the, the, the religious rulers said, give us a sign. We want proof that you are who you say you are. Well, who did Jesus say he was? We find that in the book of John. In John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. In John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. In, in John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd is going to lay down his life for the sheep. In John 11, uh, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And in John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and listen, no one can come to the Father except through me. In John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And the resurrection validates every one of those claims. This is the one that God has promised since the beginning of the story. This is the one who has come to take away our sin. This is the one who will come to die in our place. And he validates, his resurrection validates that all of the word of God is true. It's a big deal. That's why Jesus talks so much about the resurrection. Second observation this morning, I want you to think about victory. Victory. The resurrection of Jesus provides victory over sin and death. The resurrection of Jesus provides victory over sin and death. On Friday, Satan was having a field day. On Friday, Satan was smug. On Friday, he was laughing and celebrating. On Friday, he thought that he had won. But what he did not know was the cross was just part of God's battle plan all along. And I don't know how he found out the news. I don't know if one of his minions had to give it to him. I don't, I don't know if one of those lower, lower angels that had fallen was quaking in fear and going, oh, uh, Satan, I've got some bad news. Or I, I hope that he was there when it happened. Because on that morning, when the S-U-N rose on that first Easter, the S-O-N rose on that first Easter. And I, I hope that Satan was there and that he saw it firsthand. That he realized the truth that Jesus had spoken on the cross. It really was finished. Death had really been defeated. Death would have reigned since Adam had a new ruler. And his name was Jesus Christ, the conquering king, the resurrected savior. The greatest weapon and the enemy's arsenal was dismantled that day. Yes, we would still sin. Yes, we would still sin. But sin had lost its grip over us. Sin's power, which is death, had lost its grip over us. Oh, oh, people would fall and death would still, hurt. It would still hurt. It would be hard on those that would left behind. But for those that died in Christ, for the ones that died in Christ, the Bible says it would be glory. The sting has been removed. Perhaps Paul says it best, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, he's, he writes, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what resurrection meant for Jesus. Victory over the enemy. 
And my friends, that's what it can mean for us too. Victory over the enemy. One last observation this morning. That V word I want you to think about is value. Value. The resurrection of Jesus proves His value to us and our value to Him. And the resurrection of Jesus proves His value to us and our value to Him. This Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, this conqueror of death, is the promised one of God that we have been reading about since the beginning of the story. I want to remind you, now now some of you haven't been on this journey, but it's okay, I'll break it down for you. The Bible from cover to cover is about five stories. There's five stories within the big story of God. And the very first story begins in Genesis 1 and goes through Genesis 16. And that first story we call the story of the garden. And here's what happens. In the upper story, God creates the world of the lower story. And his vision is to come down and to be with us in a beautiful garden. The first two people in God's vision uh, are escorted from paradise, right? The first two people in God's vision are escorted from paradise. Their decision to disobey God introduces sin into the human race, and it keeps us from community with God. But get this. At this very moment when this happened... God gives a promise and launches a plan to get us back. And the rest of the Bible is God's story of how he kept that promise and he made it possible for us to enter into a loving relationship with him. That's Genesis 1 through 16. We call it the story of the garden. Now the second story within the story occurs from Genesis 17 all the way through the book of Malachi. It is the majority of the Old Testament. It really is. And we call that section of scripture the story of Israel. And this is what we learn in this this portion of the Bible, that God builds a brand new nation called Israel. And through this nation, he's going to reveal his presence, his power, and his plan to get us back. Get this, this is huge. Every story of Israel points to the first coming of Jesus, the one who will provide the way back to God. And then we get to the New Testament. And the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, about the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we call that the story of Jesus. It's the third story within the story. And this is what we learn there. That Jesus leaves the upper story to come down into our lower story to be with us and to provide the way for us to be made right with God. Okay? Through faith in Christ's work on the cross, we can now overturn the curse of sin uh, brought on by Adam's choice and we have an intimate life-giving relationship with God. And friends, here's what all of that means. That means that all of creation... That means that all of the Bible has been pointing to one person of infinite value. All of Scripture points to one person of infinite value who will come and be the answer to our sin problem. One person. Not many, not several versions, not a few, but it points to one person who will come and perfectly fulfill the law of God, who will die in the place of all the people that can't, and who will conquer death. One person. And that means, friends, that Jesus, in all of history, is the most valuable person to ever walk the face of the earth. Jesus is the most valuable person in all of human history. That's what the Bible would proclaim. So the first thing the resurrection proves is that Jesus is the most valuable person in all of history. Right? That means he should be of great value to us because there is no other way to find our way back to God. He is the answer. But the, the, the other thing it, it shows us, guys, is how valuable we are to God. 
Listen, I, I, don't, I don't know what your backstory is this morning. I love Easter because we have so many people that come in and, and so many different walks of life, so many different things going in. But maybe you just need to hear this this morning. Like, you are important. God cares about you. you, you you're of great value to God. You matter, right? And you say, how, how do I know that? Well, we know that because of what the Bible declares. Why did God do all this? Why has God pursued us since our fall in Genesis? Why, why has he sent his own son to be the answer for our sin problem? And John 3.16 declares why. It's because of love. Because God loves you. You have great value to him. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I always have to feel like on this day, there's got to be somebody that needs to hear that truth. There's got to be somebody that needs to hear that truth. And this is going to shock you on Easter Sunday, but we are just about done. But there is one thing we do in this church, and we do it every week. We talk about how we take this home. Not just the story, but any message. How do we take this and apply it to our lives? And there's really only one application that I can think of this week, and it's this. Ready? Receive this truth and believe it. Man, receive this truth and believe it. Okay? This is what the story of God has been about. This is what it has been leading to. The resurrection is proof that every claim that God has made is true. That everything in Scripture is true. That you are valuable to God. That He has conquered death and made a way for you to come back to Him. The resurrection is all about God and His life and the life that He offers to you. And without God, you cannot have His life, which is eternal. We said a few weeks ago here that what all this means is, is really that we are forced to make a decision. Now, I know that some of you don't like making decisions. You, you don't even like going through the drive-thru anymore when they ask you 50, would you like to supersize that? Would you like fries with that? Would you like, I just wanted something to eat, but now I'm done. I'm just going to go now. You, God bless you. Have a good day. I'm going to go home and make a sandwich. Uh, I, I, I get it. I know that you don't like choices. I, 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 I don't either. I get overwhelmed. I'm like, stop I, I, every time I use my debit card. Would you like cash back for this? No, I just wanted to pay for it. Do you want to give to a charity? No, I, did, I just wanted my grocery. Are you sure that you don't want to make a transaction? Yeah, I'm sure. Now would you put in, um, gosh, done. Just wanted to pay. Here, I'm going to carry cash from now on. Don't ask me any questions. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. I know that we don't like questions, but... The Bible actually demands that we answer uh, this one question. You see, the Bible proclaims this is who Jesus is, so you have to decide now. Is this really who he is? And you only have three options. The first option is that Jesus is a liar. And that all of Scripture has lied about him. And what that means is that Jesus was the greatest charlatan, the greatest magician to ever walk the face of the planet. That when he took water and turned it into wine, that was just a big magic trick. Then he walked on water. There must have been out there in the middle of the ocean or in the middle of the sea, there must have been some kind of glass underneath it. And he had this real fancy trick and he just fooled everybody. It, it means that when he brought a dead person back to life, that he must have had some kind of prearranged relationship with him. He said, little girl, just stop breathing for like a day and then I'll bring you back, okay? It's going to be good. Like, it, it means that Jesus was the greatest charlatan on the face of the planet. So, so that you either have to decide that. Or the, the, the second option is you can choose that he's a liar. Now the problem with believing that Jesus is a liar and that he's not who he said he was, was the first thing, all the miracles. All the miracles prove that Jesus wasn't lying. So, so, so I, I have a problem with that one. But the only other option left is that he truly is Lord. Amen. That he is who he says he is. That he is the Son of God. That he has come down from heaven. That he's eternal. He stepped out of eternity into, into humanity. And he lived the perfect life that we could not. And he died the sinner's death that we deserve. And that he conquered that death on the third day, which is Easter Sunday. 
You've got to grapple with that. So he is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And, and, and that brings us to this point of, of decision. And so I thought about that uh, this morning in the, in the early hours of the morning. Uh, actually, I thought about it in, the, in the wee hours of the night. And then again this morning. And I thought, I want you to imagine something with me for a moment. I, I kind of thought, like, imagine the thing that you want most in the world. And I was like, no, that's not good enough. Uh, imagine, and then I was like, no, that's not good. So here's what I want you to imagine. Uh, I, I believe, I, I'm still correct, that the, uh, I have some medical people here. I believe the number one killer of people in the United States is still cardiac-related diseases, correct? Okay, awesome. So since we live in America, this shouldn't be hard to imagine, right? Big Macs and all. I want you to imagine that you are in the hospital bed and that your heart is failing you. I want you to imagine that you're surrounded by family and that everyone is basically saying their final goodbyes and it's very difficult because death is hard. I've been there on several occasions. So I want you to imagine, I've been there with, with loved ones that were saying their final goodbyes. I've been there with church. It, it's not an easy place. But imagine that that's where you are. And I want you to imagine in the midst of all of your grief, in the midst of, of the, 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 the tenseness of the room, that a doctor walks in and in his hand is a pail. Little lunchbox almost. And the doctor says to you, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe this, but I've got an answer. And, and, and you begin to look at the doctor and you say, wait, wait, what are you talking about? What do you mean that you have an answer? And he says, like, in my hands, I actually hold an answer. I, I, I hold a solution to, to your problem. And, and, and it's just, it's a heart. And, and you wouldn't believe this, but just today, somebody that's an exact match for you passed away. They died. And, and, and we have their heart here. And, and all I need you to do, all I need you to do in order to receive this heart is fill out some paperwork and to sign that you will accept it. And if you'll do that, you will live. I just want you to imagine that you're there. And I, I want you to walk through, because I could only come up with three excuses. And you just tell me if any of these three excuses would keep you from signing that piece of paper and accepting that heart. I, I wondered the first question I had for you, would you let doubt keep you from that? You know, we know that not every transplant works. We know that oftentimes the body will reject a transplant. Would you let the thought that maybe it wouldn't take keep you from accepting the heart? What, what about uh, the fear of a changed lifestyle? You, you, you lived a certain way up till this point. It's what clogged all your arteries. It's what got you where you were. And, and now they're saying, we're going to give you a new heart, but you can't smoke anymore. You're going to have to exercise, and that bacon thing you like is going to have to be a treat, not an everyday adventure. I wonder, would you let that keep you from life? The fact that you'd have to change a few things. I had one last question for you. I, I wonder, at that moment, would, would you allow the guilt that you were feeling about the life that you lived, and the fact that you were the reason that you got there, through all the stuff that you ate and the lack of exercise and the bad choices you made, would you let your guilt keep you from accepting that heart? I wonder. Look, just look, look to your left and to your right. Look at the loved ones that you care about for a second. And just ask, would, I, would I let any of those three things stand in the way? You know what? I, I think the answer to that for all of us, hopefully, is no. No, I wouldn't let any of those things stand in the way. And so what I'm going to say to you today is there is a doctor standing here in our midst and he does, in fact, hold the answer to your problem. And, and, and what he says to you is all you have to do is sign right here. 
All you have to do is receive what what has been given to you. And it's interesting because the Bible says that we, our hearts, our sinful hearts are dead. They're dead to the ways of God. Jesus says you have to be born again, that you need a new heart, a new spirit placed within you. And, And the Old Testament says this is what God does. He gathers us from the nations. He calls us back to himself. It's not a work that we've done, but he calls us to himself. And then he puts his heart within us if... We will allow it. So today, I just have one question for you. Will you allow it? Will you accept God's answer to your problem, which is sin? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So this morning, man, we are not going to embarrass you. We're just going to have a moment right here where we bow our heads in prayer and we let you grapple with this Jesus. And, and, and just in the stillness and the quietness of this moment on Easter Sunday, the day that we celebrate the fact that he indeed conquered death so that we could have life, we're just going to let you grapple with these truths. And, and, and I want you to think about that hospital room. Will you accept the heart? Will you sign on the dotted line? Will you not allow your fear of, of change or your fear that it won't take or, 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 or your guilt get in the way, but would you say today, yeah, Jesus, I, I want to live. I want to live. All right? Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for your goodness and for your love. And just in the midst of this moment, just this moment, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and speak to the depths of who we are. That we would have to come face to face with this great physician named Jesus. The one that stands before us holding the solution to our sin problem. God, I pray that no excuse would stand in the way today, but you would be glorified in all that transpires. In your name we pray, amen. I'm just going to ask you, would just keep your head bowed just for a moment, and I want you to talk to the Lord. Now, some of you say, Pastor, I don't know how to do that, and that's totally okay. That's totally okay. You talk to him like you would talk to a friend, like you talk to your spouse. Okay? And you just have an honest conversation. And maybe that conversation is just, Lord, I don't want to die. And I'm not just talking about physical death. I don't want to die. I understand today that you've provided a way that I can have this thing called eternal life. That you have given me a transplant. God, today, would you help me accept it? God, would you help me today accept it? I believe in you. I'm going to sign on that dotted line. I want to receive new life. So I want to receive new life. Just right there in your spirit, would you just pray something like that? Just something, just in a moment. Just understand that the gravity of this thing called Easter and what God has done for you and His Son, Jesus. If you're here today and you'd like to accept that life that God has offered, you're you're doing that, you've done that right here. Nobody is looking. Every eye is closed, every head is bowed. Would you just raise your hand where you are because nobody's looking. Say, yeah, that's me today. I'm accepting what God has done for me. I want to live. No more excuses. Thank you. You can raise your hand. Hi, again, I, I don't know who you are. Just say, man, that's what I want today. 
Yeah, that's what I want today. Okay? Everybody that's raised their hand physically or they've raised it in their heart, just pray this little prayer with me. We'll just do it one more time. We don't, we don't want anyone to miss out. Just pray this little prayer. Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and be my king. Give me your life. I receive you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.